Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Interessante. Muy interessante. Boy. Chad and Nate. I'm Nate. I'm Chad. Hi, Mom. <laughs> And we are here to pump you <laughs> up. <laughs> got a little coffee in your cup. Got a little, got a little cereal in your bowl. Got a little, some eggs, some scrambled mm-hmm. eggs, maybe some bacon, maybe a little croissant. Maybe, maybe you got a pancake. Yeah, maybe you got a waffle. Maybe you got some French toast. Maybe you got some cream of wheat. <laughs> maybe you got some oatmeal. Maybe oh. you got some cashew with some nut milk. Okay. What was your breakfast today, Chad? Today was a banana. Some uh, Kashi toasted berry crunch. Okay. Uh, mix that with uh, some, uh, I think 365 is the Whole Foods brand. And like a cinnamon toast crunch knockoff. From oh, Whole you Foods. mix cereals? I do. Ooh, you're a cereal mixer. And I am. And then uh, what was the milk today? The milk today was uh, cashew milk. Cashew milk. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to mix uh, Cheerios and uh, Lucky Charms. I can see that. Because, you know, Lucky Charms alone can be a little bit sweet. Do you think? A little sugar. Yes. But you put that with some Cheerios, man? Yeah, it's a nice blend. You know, it's an occasional marshmallow, an occasional sugary burst, but also you feel like you're getting good nourishment. And that's the point of my mix as well, is the, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch is just far too sugary. So to mix it with uh, some toasted berry crunch from Kashi uh, gives me the, the right cut, and the right blend of uh, sustenance, uh, crunchy belly filling proteins and sugar. Crunchy belly filling proteins. Yes. CBFP, as we call it. <laughs> well done. Yes. If you're on vacation, Chad, do you, do you still go for the same kind of breakfast? What no. What is your like? What is your perfect big breakfast? If you're on vacation, you don't have to worry oh, about. Give me anything. a buffet, bro. Give me a buffet. I want the full Kit Kat and caboodle, the whole shebang bang, as I like to say. You want a Kit Kat and a and a. What? In a caboodle. Oh, a caboodle. Yeah, so give me some sausage. Give me some bacon. I want some eggs. Um, if you got some you oatmeal. You dress up your eggs? What are you putting in hot sauce? I'll do things? some hot sauce. I'll do some cheese. I'll have some fun with it. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? What else? Uh, if you got some oatmeal, I'll take a little bowl of oatmeal as well. So, like, when I'm doing my games, yeah. obviously, you know, there's at the buffet sometimes there is cereal available, but that's just so. Chad's in the morning trying to get out of the door as quickly as possible versus mm, right. I'm at a hotel and there's a buffet. So. And, you know, the, the meal at the stadiums is always, always up for question. You have no idea what to expect. I did a game in Idaho. And, you know, like the potatoes, little, that's all they had. The metal carafts. Yeah, you open up and it was, they, all they had was potatoes. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you, you've taken the cliche a little bit too far, Idaho. That's, I mean, <laughs> every drawer you open, it's just potatoes. It, there was just carafe after carafe full of baked potatoes. And I was like, this is, this is insane. There's nothing yeah. else. It's a, it's a noon kickoff. I can't get an egg, a something else. It was a potato available at <laughs> nine in the morning, um, and you know, uh, I, they were good potatoes. I'll give them that credit. They were Idaho potatoes, but come on, I need a little variety. Um, so, because of that, uh, that unknown is out there. When I get to the stadium and what's going to be possible, I typically try to load up at the hotel where there is a known uh, quantity and quality to the food. Okay, someone saying nuts waste more water than beef. On the text line. Uh, no, beef is by far, beef, well, milk from cows yep. is by far the most water-intensive 
uh, milk product available. Nuts don't fart as much as beef either. This is true. They have no um, greenhouse emissions. Someone's saying their their favorite breakfast is a breakfast burrito with green chili. I would agree with that. Um, just give me the burrito without the wrapper. Then I'm doing better because it's less carbs. Someone's saying their best vacation breakfast, Chad? Mm-hmm. Bloody Mary. <laughs> this is getting on. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, you Bloody Mary guy? Uh, on a very rare, rare uh, occasion. I'm not a, I'm not a day drinker. Yeah. Because if I drink, then I typically at some point I'm going to need to lay down. Right. You're going to need a nap. So, uh, yeah, I was talking to my but daughter. But it's vacation. Well, I was talking to my daughter. And, you know, her and her uh, boyfriend were going to the uh, Texas game this weekend. I have my game in Waco and with Baylor. And so they were going to go tailgate. And I was like, I've never tailgated. And if I did, I would be afraid to drink, to go drink in the hot sun for two hours before the game starts and then go to the game itself. That'd be, too, that'd be too much for me. Hold up. Number one, never tailgate it. Never, not one single time. In number my life. two, afraid to have a beer in the middle of the day because you're afraid of how that might end up. It's gonna make. I'm not gonna feel very. You're good. You're not supposed to think about the future, Chad. You're not supposed to think about ramifications for your actions. You're just supposed to go with it, man. Go with the moment and just have that beer. Okay, and go to that tailgate. Right, so Do in, that keg stand. Jump in, off the thing onto the table. Bow. In Buffalo, Buffalo, doing the Broncos game. Yeah, there was a little gift basket for one of the Bronco staff in my room. Apparently the you know hotel got a little confused, um, so I contacted this Bronco person and said, "Hey, you know they left a little gift for me." He's like, "Oh well, you know that's good. Consider it yours." Mm. There was a couple of small shooter bottles in this gift basket. Okay, um, you know something I normally do. I don't roll with those when I'm on the road. Right. So uh, there was a couple, so I passed them out to the rest of the crew, and I kept one for myself. So uh, as I was as I parked the rental car at the airport, I was reaching in my bag. And I was like, oh, "There it is." So I hit the shooter. Okay. And then I had to, like, my flight was delayed, and then I had to catch a second flight, and that Uh-oh. flight was delayed. So by the time I was, like, on, on the second plane, I was like, I'm I'm drunk and I'm grumpy. This is no fun. I want to be having fun when I drink. This is See, this is why I don't normally do that kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of, you know, you go through the airport, and the airport bar is always pretty full. Right. There's always people on their layover or before their flight having a drink, whether it's a beer or a hard, or hard you know, or a cocktail. I don't think they're doing it to have fun. You know, I think they're doing it because they have some flight anxieties. See, I well, fly all the time, so there's no anxiety. I just want to, I just like, like this will make the flight more fun. Well, you can you can purchase more on the flight, you know. Uh, you can keep that party going. Yeah, yeah. You're hoping that one no. that one little shooter sustained you for the whole flight. Right? Uh, well, because, again, I had two flights, and so then I had to walk all the way through Chicago to a whole different terminal, and I was like, see, this is why I don't do this. I'm all drunk and grumpy, and <laughs> I'm kind of like the drunk sweats as I'm rushing to my next plane, which, of course, when I get there to the gate is delayed. Now I'm mad and drunk. I'm like, see, this is not the fun thing I was hoping it would be. <laughs> I don't Dude. feel nearly as cool as I thought I would drinking that, you know, a shooter in my rental car yeah, as yeah. I parked it. Right. There's no way to feel cool doing that. Yeah. But um, so getting back to food, game day, when you were when you were a player. Yes. What kind of breakfast would you eat on game day? Oh, I had to get, I had the same thing. There had to be some sausage and some bacon. And you've heard me say this before. I always feel, I know it's not correct, but I always like the grease in the sausage and the bacon helps lubricate my joints. That's how I'm able to play. Was able to play as long as that I did. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, in a weird, twisted way. So yeah, some eggs, some oatmeal. Uh, typically, there'd be a Danish or two somewhere in there, um, and uh, yeah, some cheese on my eggs. I never did the steak. 
I never did the the spaghetti. The pregame meals are the same for every organization I've ever been around. Yeah, spaghetti. Spaghetti, steak, chicken, gr- green beans, some chicken breasts, and then there's your, your regular breakfast stuff on yep. one side. Yep. Yeah, I was never I never had a big appetite, man. On on game day I would kind of push 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 the food around. Just try to get it in my stomach. A little turkey bacon, uh-huh. some eggs, and some oatmeal, and some fruit. I had to eat. I had to put a, a good meal on my I couldn't go into the game feeling hungry like that. Now the night before did they have beers at your uh, night? Yeah, they did. Okay, did you ever feel comfortable no, enough taking nope, one? Nope. Nobody did, man. <laughs> Nobody did. The coaches would grab those beers. There was a couple of people chill on the coaches' table and have one. But every once in a while, like, yeah, there was a veteran who yeah, grabbed one. There'd be a veteran every once in a while who would grab one, and I would go, man, that's that's a bold move. Yeah, Cotton. no, yeah. That's they're watching bold... that, beer, uh, that beer bowl. Yeah. They're knowing, you know, <laughs> I just want to see a rookie go up and just crack one. And just <laughs> chug it. Uh, I imagine you were a captain for for many of your years in the NFL. I was uh, elected by your teammates. Yes, was that an honor? I felt like it was. I felt like you've earned your teammates' respect uh, in a number of different ways. I, I think it's difficult to be a captain if you don't play well. So th- these these guys think of you as a good player. It's difficult to be a captain if you're a guy who's not thought of uh, for your mental capacity for the game, your ability to handle situations, to talk to the officials, to decline or accept penalties. Uh, do the coaching do the coaching staff have trust in you to to do that? So your teammates are evaluating all that when they going down that list and they're writing your name on a piece of paper. So I've always considered that to be a tremendous one of the greatest honors you can actually get. And the Broncos decided on their captains yesterday. It's going to be Russell Wilson, Corlin Sutton, Bradley Chubb, Justin Simmons, and of course Brandon McManus, um, special teams leader there and. Those are the five guys that this this team feels comfortable with as their leaders, uh, as the best players, but not necessarily always the best players, the kind of guys that represent what they're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, someone on the text line, Chad, saying what we're all thinking here. Wait, Chad, you were drunk from one shooter? <laughs> uh, I was. I'm a lightweight. Ah, I'm a lightweight. Get out of my... You're just, like, getting, causing the well, drunk to get diverted to Wichita and stuff. There's an unruly passenger. Drunk is a, uh, maybe it's a uh, a little bit of an exaggeration. I was feeling the one shooter. Uh, <laughs> the halftime meal at Buffalo wasn't very substantial, so I was a little light to my stomach to put just a shooter down, straight down like that. Whatever, Chad. You're, you're a cheap date. That's a good thing. <laughs> um, hey, it's King King Super's fan pick em time. What is it? King Supers fan football pickup. There time. we go. God, that's a mouthful. Uh, get registered for your chance to win free groceries for a year. That's a lot of free groceries. And you got to do it before tomorrow's kickoff. Sign up at denverfan.com slash picks. Go head to head all season long with a fan host. See if you know football. I can't as well wait as to win do. this thing. I cannot wait to win this whole thing. Yeah, like you you were really bad last year, man. No, I wasn't. I was, uh, I was top five. No. Yeah. Did you ever win it? Like a win? Like I had like a week? you had. I know you had multiple wins. But you had multiple really off weeks. That's true. I had. I think I had two wins, and I was always in the top three for most weeks. All right. Well, let's see if you guys can beat Chad. Let's see if you can beat me. The rest of the guys, Can't sign do up. It. Can't <laughs> do it. Denverfan.com. I'm winning it all. As the Broncos prepare to enter. CB all the way, yo! Hostile territory in Seattle next Monday. Nathaniel Hackett says he isn't nervous. We'll find out about that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.
No, I, this isn't my first game. <laughs> I mean, he's still calling the plays and still going through, you know, the same process you go through throughout the week. There's just a couple other people you got to talk to without the week. But, I mean, in the end, it's a football game. In the end, it's about your preparation. Once you prepare the whole week and you feel great about it, then it's you're on autopilot and ready to make adjustments if you need to. <laughs> no, no, nervous? No, 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 not me. <laughs> I've done this before. Don't you worry about it. I'm not nervous at all. Woo, no way, man. Are you kidding me? Nervous? No, I've done this. I've been doing this. I've been doing this. Nathaniel Hackett, you heard him, Chad. Do you think he's uh, covering up for his actual nerves? I'm calling bullcorn on all that. All of that. Bullcorn. Man, come on, dude. You're supposed to be nervous before a football game. If you're not nervous, you're not approaching the game correctly. You need to be uh, on the edge a little bit. Um, so first game, 10th game, 100th game, 200th game, I don't care. Be nervous. The energy's supposed to be there. So whether you're Russell Wilson, when he, what was his quote earlier? I don't get nervous. There we go. And now we got Nathaniel Hackett. Come on, guys. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Seriously. If I would... If I could pull him aside, I would say, yeah, it's okay. you can admit that. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign that you're prepared to play. You can't be too cool for school. <laughs> you you, you got you to be ready to go. You got to be on edge. You should be pacing around the locker room a little bit, not because you're not confident, not because you don't have belief, not because you don't feel like I'm not prepared, I didn't put in the work. No, I've done all these things. Now I'm ready to go out there and unleash all the work that I've done. And that's where this nervousness and this energy is coming from. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the goal is there. Number one, it's not convincing. And number two, it, it, it doesn't speak to what you think it speaks to. What about the statement that this isn't my first game? I, I, I've been around this my whole life, you know, preparing for games, putting in the game plan, being there on the sideline. This isn't my first game. It's no different than anything I've ever done as a coach. We live and die every Sunday or Monday or Thursday and occasionally late in the season, Saturdays. But we live and die with those. <laughs> Living and dying is pretty important. It's pretty serious. Um, so, yeah, I understand where he is coming from with his history. Um, but, you know, every player I've ever been around, every coach I've ever been around, uh, yeah, there's certain moments in the game where you need to be cool and calm. But before the game is where the nerves, the butterflies, and all that comes out. Every listener who played uh, football um, in high school is like, yeah, you're supposed to be nervous before the game. If you're not nervous, you're not ready to go, man. Okay, so what about, what? I'm going to play a, a devil's avocate. Please do. Avocate I, I like diablo. avocados. <laughs> the psychology of what he's doing. Obviously, his his teammates, or I'm sorry, his his, his team, his players are listening. Yep. They pay attention to the way, you know, uh, we talk about these teams in the media and these pressers and things like that. So, obviously, there is a huge experience gap between Pete Carroll, for example, and Nathaniel Hackett. Pete Carroll's coached 272 games, Chad. Nathaniel Hackett, zero. So, would your players lack confidence in you as a head coach if you go up there and you're like, yeah, this is my first game. Like, we'll see how it goes. You know, uh, (laughs) fingers crossed. I mean, I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't know. Do you want to instill a sense of confidence and steely reserve? Reserve? Yes. Resolve? Resolve. Yes. Going into a game like this, or do you want to say, hey, yeah, it's my first time. Let's see how it goes. How are your players going to respond to a guy who's not sure of himself? I think you can – what did it take me, 30 seconds to state 
my case about having nerves and why the nerves are important and where those nerves are coming from, I think you can easily do that in front of your team or in the press conference and say, yeah, I, I'm nervous. I, I can't wait to unleash all that. I've been putting six months into this for this moment right here. And then when you put that much time in and you invest that much effort, nerves are rightly going to be a part of that equation. Doesn't mean I'm not confident. Doesn't mean I don't believe in my team. Doesn't believe that we doesn't 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 make me think that we will not be the team that is victorious in the end. And I sort of don't want to communicate a lack of confidence or belief or resolve or wherewithal or whatever that term you want to put on it to my team because that simply would not be the case. But I think if you're going to go out and play a football game, you should be anxious. There should be a little bit of nervousness in you. Confidence, sure. Yeah, resolve, belief, absolutely. But nerves are also an important part of this thing. What about the what about the part where you said I've I've done this before? This is not my first game. Is it possible that um, the way they collaborated on game day in Green Bay with you know multiple coaches um, involved in the decision making with analytics guys and a guy a clock management guy over here and a coach who's watching this over here the collaborative effort by the coaching staff where Nathaniel Hackett was is going to be so similar to the collaborative effort here that he doesn't feel like he's actually doing anything much different. He's relying on, you know, an amalgamation of opinions and we're coming to a consensus and we're doing what the moment calls for. It ain't no different than anything I've ever done. I've been doing this my whole life. So, yeah, I've done this before. The structure could absolutely be the same. And I can I can see where that could lend you some confidence. But let's not lose track of all the first-time coordinators and all the first-time coaches in their current roles that you got on the staff. So to suddenly go, yeah, I've seen three preseason games with my crew. We're good. We got this whole thing figured out. Now now we've gone from trying to uh, convince ourselves that uh, we're not nervous to we've gone to being too cocky, a little arrogant. And without the correct lay of the land in front of you, this these are the facts. These are first time coordinators. This this coach at this position is a first time coach in that particular position. So this is what's happening. And three preseason games do not suddenly make you uh, a, a, a super confident, uh, cohesive, well-oiled machine as a group. It takes a regular season and a couple of those to make that happen. So if you want to take this Green Bay experience and connect it directly to what you have going right now, that would not be confidence. That would be uh, that'd be a little over cocky for me based on the experience level of this crew together. You're saying there's a precedent of assistant coaches leaving a successful program, trying to do the exact same thing, and it falling flat on its face. Uh, yeah, there's a clear look at all the uh, Belichickians <laughs> and all his all his little mentors and mentees. Yes, uh, they. Uh, the, I think the the confidence of trying to suddenly be what you just left without recognizing that it's just a completely different situation. You're different. Uh, you're different than that person that you're trying to emulate. The situation that you're trying to somehow replicate, there's subtle changes and differences in that. The people you're asked to fill in those roles are not the same people who are in those roles at the last spot. So all those little pieces of the puzzle uh, as much as you want to try to replicate things, you can't. Each situation is individual and to itself. Okay, so I had the Baylor game this weekend. Dave Aranda, the head coach for Baylor, is maybe the most interesting head coach I've ever been around in all my years of football. I've been around football a long time. 
Um, but he said something. What makes like, him interesting? Uh, he's a very deep, 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 very philosophical dude. He quoted the Bernstein Bears at a press conference last year. <laughs> you know, this is too hot. This is too cold. I mean, all, I mean he was, he's very detailed, um, but explains things in a very clear, uh, concise kind of way. But uh, he said during our production meeting, coaches often talk about you get a new team from one year to the next. He's like, I don't think they're seeing it properly. Actually, for me, I get a brand new team every Monday when they come in after their day off on Sunday. It's a brand new team. And I have to approach that week brand new. I can't just do the same things I did last week. So to take it to that kind of granular level uh, of your thinking as a coach, yeah, you just can't replicate what you did in Green Bay because this ain't Green Bay, and that's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Russell Wilson. It's good, but it ain't Aaron Rodgers. And that's not, you know, that's not Matt LaFleur helping you call plays. That's Justin Allen. Different mindsets, different dudes, different philosophies. So to take the Dave Aranda thought of each week, I've got to prepare for a brand new football team to somehow think you're going to replicate what was done at your last spot, I think is a, is, is a bridge too far for me to buy into. And to say you're not nervous because of that, and I know Coach Hackett didn't say that. You're just kind of you know playing hypotheticals here. But I don't see the connection between what you did in Green Bay and how you can suddenly be not be nervous for this opening game, your first time as a head coach here with the Denver Broncos. And at the same time, how do you not you know try to emulate the success you had elsewhere and plug in the things you think are going to work? The the hard part and the bad news for Broncos country. It might take a year for Nathaniel Hackett to figure out which elements of the Green Bay. Uh, experience work here in Denver and which don't. Some are going to work. Some are going to fail. you got to adjust. We hope he has the ability to do that. A little bit of breaking news here. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders has retired. He's announced his retirement. Um, He played 11 years in the NFL. He had 704 catches, 9,245 yards in his six years here in Denver. 404 catches, 5,361 yards, 28 touchdowns, an integral part of those fantastic offenses when Peyton Manning was around. So we wish Emmanuel Sanders the best. He had one season with 101 receptions, uh, one season over 100 receptions. Here as a Bronco in 2014, trivia question for you guys. What Denver Bronco is the only Denver Bronco to have three straight 100-catch seasons? We'll give you the answer next. Oh, and uh, before we do that, how did the Rockies fare yesterday? Here's Spilly to fill us in. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Breaking news, Emmanuel Sanders, Broncos' great wide receiver, is retiring. He's going to retire as a Bronco, and he's going to hold a press conference today at 11. So stay tuned for that. I'm not sure if we're going to carry it, but uh, Emmanuel Sanders, in his six years as a Denver Bronco, 404 receptions, 5,361 yards, 28 touchdowns. And in 2014, that was his best year. He had 101 catches, 1,404 yards, nine touchdowns. Before the break, I asked the question, what Bronco receiver is the only one to have three straight 100 catch seasons? And you guys chimed in. Uh, a lot of Rod Smiths, Demarius Thomas, actually Brandon Marshall. 
Several of you got that one right. Brandon Marshall had a three-year run here, 2007, 2008, 2009, that was unparalleled in Broncos history. Someone uh, said Lionel Taylor, but it wasn't Lionel Taylor. Lionel Taylor had a great career here. 1960, he had 92 catches. 1961, he had 100. 1962, he had 77. But he did it in 14 games. So there's a caveat there. Um, Would he have been able to surpass 100 on those other seasons if he had 16 games? Probably. But he didn't. So the answer to that is Brandon Marshall. Okay. Brandon McManus took to the podium yesterday and was asked a pretty important question about whether this team parallels at all to the Super Bowl 50 champions. Here's what One he said. One thing that I was, I was saying to, uh, you know, some of the guys upstairs about is, is, you know, obviously everyone talks about the culture change and stuff. And obviously, it's been very exciting to be around everybody in there. But one of the things I want to see is when we get to a pressure pack situation, when things aren't going our way, you know, how do we act? Do we, we fall back into that hole what we have been in the past couple of years? Or have, have we really changed and pushed through? So I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to a lot of these new guys playing. So he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know yet until the adversity strikes, until there's a pressure-packed situation, as Brandon McManus put put it, and if this team can pull through those moments. And we've looked at the Broncos over the last you know five or six years, in the last three particularly, and have seen them fold up shop when the going gets tough, have seen them lack the ability to stick the knife in and twist, to stick the boot on the neck and keep it down, to deliver the final blow. Oh, you can. They haven't been able to do that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Finish him. They have not been able to finish teams. Do you think this team could be the team that does it? Uh, I hope so. I hope so. But, uh, again, I think we're we're in that uh, hypothetical phase of the f- season. We don't even know who this team is. We don't even know what team is going to show up on Monday night. So, suddenly to say they're, they're going to be a team that's going to choke people out, uh, hopefully that mindset's there. From a coaching staff standpoint, with the way the plays are called, the way the week is, uh, the messages are run throughout the week, the way the players think about things, hopefully that is absolutely the case. Uh, because the Broncos in the last several years have lost far too many games where they were ahead and they couldn't hold a lead, or the offense just needed to get into field goal range and kick a and give McManus a spot where he could, he could kick a field goal. So those kinds of losses, uh, close. Um, and you had the ability to close the game out, or perhaps more frustrating than blowout losses. A blowout loss, we didn't have a chance. We didn't show up off the bus. We got blown off the field. Move on to next week. But the close games where you go, man, this play here and that play there and that play there, that's where we're falling short. We're three or four plays short. Those are the more frustrating losses that stick with you. Those are the ones that keep you up at night. So uh, hopefully this team develops that kind of mindset where they – you know, are, are they resolve to, you know, never, uh, from a defensive standpoint, be given the lead with a three minutes left on the clock, and you know, to and they somehow can't stop somebody, or the offense in a, in a two minute situation just needs to go down and get inside the thirty yard line so McManus can kick a field goal. Hopefully, those kind of things are checked off the list this year. And what is it that gives you the ability to do that as a team? Is it simply the athletes out there and the scheme and the talent? Or is there something else? Is there something, I don't know, uh, elemental, something spiritual, something um, energetically that allows a group of of players to believe that they're going to finish, to believe that they're going to win this game? Does Russell Wilson at the helm, a guy who's had so much experience winning in this league, fastest QB ever to 100 wins, 
Does having him back there, a guy who knows how to win, help the rest of the guys believe that they're going to win? Oh, absolutely. If you have a franchise quarterback in the building, uh, everyone else's belief, particularly in those moments, just grows by leaps and bounds in that belief. So that belief that Pete Carroll has, no matter what's going to happen, we're going to find a way to win. Russell Wilson has that same belief. And when you operate in that, it becomes infectious. Other people start to buy into that. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a factor on this team uh, with the quarterback. Uh, I mean, definitely Nathaniel Hackett is a super positive guy as well. I think between the quarterback and the head coach, there's a tremendous deep-seated belief, and we're going to find a way to win. Um, now, at the same time, there hasn't been a winning here. since. No one here has been a winner. Brandon McManus. Is the only one. Yes. He's the only one. So is there anything that he can teach the no. rest of the guys? No. Why? Because he's a kicker. I know, but he's got a ring, man, and he's cool. Uh, he's the union rep. Uh, I'm, and I'm, he dresses up like a referee and comes out at practice and throws flags. <laughs> Is there anything that he can teach this team about how to be a Super Bowl champion? It's hard for the kicker to connect to the other players in a way that I think really moves things forward. It's great that you got a kicker with experience, but I think it's more so great for him than it is. It may be the guys in the special teams room, but it does not translate to the linebacker room or to the tight end room. It just it just doesn't. Um, I wish it did. I've been around some great kickers, some guys who had a lot of success in the league, guys have been in the league forever. Um, I'm sure would have some awesome stories to tell and some awesome wisdom to impart. But you're a kicker. And so that just kind of pushes your opinion off to the side. It's not bought into. It's not given the same weight and credibility as a, a, another player. So, Do you think if it is given the same weight and credibility as another player, do you think that's a problem? Like, have you ever heard a kicker give a speech to the team? I have, and they usually land quite flat. They <laughs> who, do. Who was the kicker? Oh, uh, gosh. Well, we, well, I was uh, in Seattle. We had... Um, Tootin. Oh. He was our punter. Okay. <laughs> what was the what was the what was the tenor of the speech? Now he really tried to make himself a regular player. He would get in the weight room when we were in the weight room <laughs> and he would make all kind of noise and lift all kind I'm of like weights. Like you guys, look at me. Yes. And then he got a hernia, then he couldn't kick for three weeks. We're like, see, this is why you don't this is why you're a kicker, man. Um, I don't recall the exact message because it landed so flat and so poorly. Um, so do you think it's problematic? And then this is nothing against Brandon McManus as a kicker. He's, a, he's actually a very, very good kicker. Right. Do you think it's problematic for a team when your kicker is a leader, is looked to to be some kind of standard bearer, is asked to say a few words? Is that problematic for the rest of your football team? I won't say it's problematic. I think McManus is not only a great kicker. Um, he's a really cool dude. Cool dude? He is a cool dude. Okay. What do you mean he's, by he's, that? He's got some swag to himself. He's got some swag. He's a cool dude with swag. Yeah, he is. And so I think he's more of a player uh, connected to the players than a lot of kickers that I would know. So if I were to rank the the kicker relatability, he's got to be near the very tip top of that. Um, but at the same time, you're still relegated to a different category because you're a kicker. Does that mean you can't be captain? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, Do you think a, a cool kicker is an oxymoron? Is it possible to be cool as a kicker? Why? Well, I think you say cool because most kickers are typically not. No, I don't. I don't. Most kickers don't try to be cool. Ah. They might be cool, but they don't try to be cool. Yeah. If you're a kicker on my team and you try to be cool. I know this is a big, this is a big thing for you. 
I will make fun of you. <laughs> and everyone in that locker should be making fun of Brandon McManus and the hats and the shoes he chooses to wear. If they are not, there is a problem. If they can tease him about his, you know, his coolness, then that's a good locker room. I think everybody in the locker room should be, uh, outfits should be uh, discussed, joked about, uh, you know, playing the dozens, as they used to say back in the day. Yeah, I mean, everybody's, like like Russell Wilson, you got to be able to make fun of Russ. Yes. You know? And he should be able to laugh at himself. Yeah, and I think he can. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe we should bring him on and try and make fun of him and see how he handles it. <laughs> you think he'll come on the show? It's not like he's at work right now or anything. Right. He doesn't need to be he's at his meetings. Yeah. He's got his own office. Give us a call from the office, Russ. Wouldn't that be cool if he just like was like, sorry, Coach, I got to go. I, I'm on Chad and Nate at 945. <laughs> Those guys need Broncos me. Broncos country. Let's ride. Well, he, well uh, Russ can't be on Chad and Nate at 945 because Andrew Mason is. We're going to talk to him next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Someone texting in saying, I just got to call out some hypocrisy. All the ex-players at the fan talk about football as if it's the ultimate team sport. But then you say you won't receive leadership from a special teams player. Wasn't David Bruton captain of Denver for years? But the reality is you have offense, defense, and special teams is just the extra. Um, David Bruton was not a kicker. Okay, Kickers don't run. They don't block. They don't tackle. They don't hit. They literally do not get touched on a football field. There are very actually that's the only job on a football field where you don't do where you don't get touched. No one lays a hand on you and if they do, something has gone wrong. Um, I don't have a problem with kickers. Kickers are important. But they're not team leaders. Yeah. That said, I'm not trying to act grind this axe. I was just responding to this. Yeah, I, I if you want to call it hypocrisy fan uh texter go for it. Um <clears throat> but yeah, to to Nate's point, the the lack of physical part, the, the, the lack of engagement in the physical part of the game, um, you're not seen as a same as a regular player. You are a kicker. And even coaches have jokes about kickers. And even Nathaniel Hackett, you know, in a production meeting was like, yeah, man, rookies and kickers. When asked about Sam Martin, he put, you know, he, he threw that out there. I didn't ask him to say that. He did. Well, we got Andrew Mason on the line, our seniors Bronco, senior Broncos rider. Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Andrew, you got any kicker jokes for us? Uh, n- probably uh, not, n- none better than the stories you guys would have been telling otherwise. So um, I don't think I can add anything to that. I'm, I'm going to be the last guy who's going to um, make a joke at the expense of a, of a kicker or, or punter, though, because uh, they're kind of the closest thing to, uh, to use the DMAC term uh, as us, to us uh, Muggles actually getting a shot in the NFL sometimes. <laughs> so are you thinking about kind of maybe going for it, doing a little training, trying to get out there on the field and, and kick some balls through the uprights? You know, I think I'm probably actually past, past the age of that. I, I, I know when uh, you were in camp back in uh, 06, Nate, uh, you had uh, Stefan Satsis, the uh, writer from the Wall Street Journal, who actually uh, did was allowed to be part of training camp and um, – if I'm not mistaken, he managed to make one field goal, but it kind of tr- in, in a drill, but it kind of trickled a little, kind of barely over the crossbar. And so, I mean, I'm a little older than Stefan was at the time he did that. I think my time has come and gone. 
Yeah, Stefan uh, did. He wrote a book about the Broncos. Pretty good book. Yeah, it's called A Few Seconds of Panic. You should check it out. Um, it's well done, but he tried to actually be a legitimate kicker and went into training camp as a kicker. And when we first saw him <laughs> with his pads on running around, we're like, who is this Martin Gramatica's grandpa? What is he doing here? <laughs> and then um, and then Coach Shanahan actually did give him an opportunity to make a field goal in team periods. And and it was the type of thing at the end. It was towards the middle of training camp, the dog days of training camp. And what he did, he gave him an opportunity to make a 30-yarder. He said, if you make this, no meetings for the guys tonight. So everybody was lined up around him, and he he missed it. He actually dribbled it off the ground. It bounced and hit the center in the butt. He gave him another shot five yards closer. He mixed, missed that one, too. So we didn't get the meetings off. But he wrote a really good book. Uh, it's called A Few Seconds of Panic. All right, Andrew, I want to shift gears a little bit to September 12th, Monday night in Seattle. I know a lot of us are talking about Russell Wilson and this offense. But talk a little bit about this Broncos defense and your expectations of how they're going to handle this game. Honestly, I think they're probably – my expectations are that they that they carry the team to some degree. I mean, I was just uh, – we were doing the uh, – we're doing the pick of course, that you can find at denverfan.com and uh, – at the end of picking the week's games, you put in a score for the uh, Monday night game, which of course is the Bronco game, and I put in, I put in 2010 as as the final right now. I ex- I expect this defense to control to to control the tempo of the game to keep the Seahawks in check. The corners are healthy, so I think they I, I think on the back end with a healthy cornerback core, healthy healthy secondary, it'll limit the things. That Seattle probably wa- wants to try to do vertically um, with with its, with its two with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I I think the defense comes up big, and I think for until the until the offense really find a, kind of finds its stride, I think defense is going to carry this team. Mace, uh, the quote from Nathaniel Hackett uh, about uh, not being nervous. Uh, they now getting a little bit of uh, pushback on the text line. We're saying you're supposed to be nervous for a football game. If you're a player and you're not nervous, you're maybe not ready to go. Uh, give me a more of a, a fan's point of view of Coach Hackett's comment. I would say this. I think, first of all, you've heard the cliche, never let him see sweat. That was a commercial back in the day for deodorant. Um, I uh, think man. some of that... Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And I think some of that, I, I, I kind of thinking about the psychology of what he's saying, I think, first of all, you if you're nervous, you don't want the world to know that. Second of all, he talked kind of about, um, yeah, he, he, he talked about, you know, some you're, you're on autopilot a little bit during the game as a coach because you're doing a lot of the work during it. But you have to be able to adapt. I think if you are, if, if you're concerned, consumed by nervousness, maybe, you don't make the decisions that you need to make, that maybe you make the wrong decisions under duress. So I think there's kind of a psychological element to it of him wanting to make sure that he is, that he is not nervous. And so you don't want to give that impression in any way, shape or form uh, that you're, that you're nervous about it. I, I think maybe deep down he's churning and has a little bit of nervousness about his, his first time as a head coach. I just think that that he's going to try to kind of will himself to not have those sentiments, or if he does, to not let them overcome his decision making and maybe lead to some imprudent and uh, emotional uh, calls in, in the decisions that he has to make during the game. 
Yeah, I think it's a glimpse into his psychology approaching this first game as well. I, I, we're building it up like it's this huge revenge game, right, with Russell Wilson in Seattle, which it is. But in his mind, it is just another football game. He's preparing like it's another football game. We're going to prepare to win, and then we're going to go try to get the win, and win or loss, we're going to come back, scrub it, and move on to the next week. But there are some question marks, particularly on this offense, and Nathaniel Hackett is running this offense. He's not only running the team, he's calling the plays on offense. That's a big task. And I would say the biggest question mark, Andrew, and you can tell me if I'm right here, is Billy Turner at right tackle. He was brought in to be that stalwart over there, and we haven't seen him at all. What's the story with Billy Turner, and how's this right tackle position going to play out? I mean, I think it's going to be touch and go going into the first game. I mean, I, I think it's a coin flip whether he plays or not. He uh, Now, yesterday when we saw him at the opening of practice, he was out there, and everybody was out there who was on the 53-man roster in the practice squad, but he was you know, doing – he started off kind of doing the conditioning work off to the side, so – I mean, I think it's a very real possibility that Billy Turner does not play this game. I'd say the same thing for uh, Jonas Griffin, who's coming off of the uh, the dislocated elbow. And if it's not Turner, then it's going to be Calvin Anderson, who's gotten the, the lion's share of the reps uh, over there at right tackle. But I would say right now, I can't. You can't rely on Billy Turner being a hundred percent ready to go. And even if he is in uniform and out there, conditioning wise. He's probably still got to work his way back up, so wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if it's a little bit of a timeshare uh, between Turner and uh, Calvin Anderson if Turner is at, is out there. I mean that that's it's fair to say that's the big that is a big question mark right now, and uh, wouldn't surprise me if if it's a little bit of an unusual arrangement in terms of sharing the reps to start the season. What about the uh, rotation in the tight end room? Doesn't appear as if Greg Dulcich is going to be. Is he, or does it appear like he's going to be able to play this game? Uh, so break down that uh, position in Greg's health. Uh, well, Dolcich is on the shelf for at least the first uh, four weeks because he's on injured reserve. So right. he was on the 53 for a day, then they put him on IR, and then that, and then that was it. And that, that was it, moved on to, um, uh, to, get, to trying to get him ready for October, basically. So uh, I think you're going to see basically a very liberal rotation at tight end. I think that you're going to see guys – uh, used situationally, you see uh, Alberto uh, used on, used on some long yardage situations when you basically when you need an extra receiver when you need three or four targets uh, that are that are go, that are running routes. I think you're going to see uh, I think you're going to see um, Eric Tomlinson in short yardage, and I think uh, probably the guy who ended up playing the most reps is the one who who's the most all around tight end, and that's Eric Stalber. But it's going to in the in the short run and probably in the long run this year, unless Albert Okwebenam really uh, becomes a stellar blocker, which uh, he hasn't shown evidence of that uh, uh, so far. I think it's going to be kind of a village at tight end and guys being used situationally to get the Broncos through. Okay, Andrew, I heard you on the drive yesterday, and you, you, you faithfully have been joining every single show on this station. Uh, but you're on the drive yesterday, and you agreed with Tyler's assertion that the left tackle is the second most important player on the team. Can you elucidate that belief? Or, I mean, or, or did you just it, it, agree with him because he was a tackle and he said it? Well, I mean, I would say the tackles in general and on the offense are right behind the quarterback. What? Um, in terms, sorry. What is the most, Andrew? What is the most important object in the game of football? This most sacred object in the game. The football itself. The football itself, right? And so, whoever is advancing that football is the most important player on the field. Is he not? Yes. But at the same time, the, the the quarterback, especially if you're trying to get those explosive games, I mean, you 
needs protection in order to have time to find the targets downfield. And then when you're talking, when you're keeping it on the ground, you need you you need to be able to to create the to create the holes. The reason the reason why you'll put tackle ahead of say guard is is because of the damage that can be done to the passing to the passing game when you have an edge rusher who's loose and getting past the tackles and that's it. Although I will give you credit because you said, Hey, uh, because you're a tight end, tight ends have to chip. They have to help out. So, I mean, that being said, if you are drawing up a roster and saying, okay, what are the core four positions that we're starting with? Almost any football executive will tell you it's QB blindside protector. And then, and then you go to the defensive side Edge rusher and kicker, or just or you can be an interior interior guy and and a punter and lockdown snapper. Corner. Yep. <laughs> Good stuff, Andrew. No, Thanks for joining us, man. There. As usual, pleasure, great stuff. That was Andrew Thanks, Mason, Chris. our senior Broncos writer on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. Hey, it's fan war room time season preview special. That's tomorrow at noon. Orlando, Chad, you're going to be there. I will be with No Sean, and you're going. You guys are going to join Stoke and Zach again. Tomorrow, noon to 2, Brothers Barbecue off of I-25 at Arapaho. Go check them out. Great food, great ambiance, great conversation, right, Chad? It'll be fantastic. Next, we got distractions. See you. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.